Podcast One and Forbes present Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari, a show where women you may never meet will become your mentors. Join Denise in her New York City apartment and tap into her conversations with successful women who are dropping the V-bombs. That's right, they're getting vulnerable. Now, here's your host, Denise Rastari. Hi, and welcome to my apartment in New York City. You know, one of my most popular posts on Forbes.com, the headline reads, A Harvard woman is blowing up the $55 million beauty industry with 3D printed makeup. The story behind that headline is a 30-something woman invents a desktop printer that prints makeup. Pretty cool, right? Well, that woman is Grace Choi, and she's here with me today. And I'm so excited. I'm really so excited because I haven't seen Grace in over a year. We were on a panel together about a year ago, and there's so much to catch up on. And I purposefully have not done a deep dive into a catch-up with Grace before this podcast because I want it to really be that natural conversation that we're just going to have and exploring what we're each up to and what's going on. So to start with, though, here's my 60-second intro of Grace. She's a serial inventor, and her latest invention is called Makeup Hacker. Using technology that doesn't require you to code or anything, Grace is giving women the power to change the color of our makeup and even create a new product of makeup based on what we already have. Now, we're going to talk about that, so I'll explain it because it's just a brilliant idea. But it's bigger than makeup. It's about the power and the choice that she's giving women to create what they want not to have to settle for what companies want to give us, not to have to pay the higher prices. And how cool is it, though, when someone says to you, if you're making your own lipstick color, right? I love that lipstick color, who made it? And you look at them and say, I made it. It's really empowering. And it's she's creating a community because makeup is more than beauty. It's really a conversation. Grace has her BS from Cornell and an MBA from Harvard Business School, and she's been named Advertising Age's Creativity 50. She's been Glamour Magazine's Tech Hero of the Year, and she's appeared on just like a ton of major media outlets out there. So, Grace, I'm so excited that you're here because I can't wait to catch up with you. And I'm going to start with a mentoring moment. So... About a year and a half ago, my friend Dan Benna, works for PepsiCo, sends me an email and says, Denise, I just met this really great woman. Her name's Libby Moore. And we were, you know, we were going to meet for like an hour and it turned into one of those three-hour meetings. And I left thinking, you have to meet. The two of you have to meet. Well, so I respect Dan so much. I didn't question who she, I mean, I saw that and I'm like, great, because Dan wouldn't suggest that I should meet somebody that isn't great, right? So, but he says at the very bottom after that, he says, oh, and by the way, she was Oprah's chief of staff for 11 years, and she's been on something that she calls the Libby Moore Gypsy Tour. So I'm like thinking, well, now she just even became cooler, right? But I, I was excited to meet her without all of that. So Libby and I, we start emailing each other and we set up a time to meet. We're going to have lunch in the village here in Greenwich Village in, in, in New York. And so the day of, I, I mean, I know I'm going to meet Libby, and I get up that morning and I'm, my mind is overrun by emails, and I'm just engrossed in emails, and I start working on a project, and when I, I have the attention span of a gnat usually, right? But when I get involved in something, I'm like, everything around me doesn't exist. I mean, hours can fly by. I have a feeling you might be a little bit the same, right, when you get so yeah. engrossed. And 
so I'm sitting there and I'm working and suddenly I hear the beep on my phone to tell me that in 20 minutes, I need to be at a restaurant in the village, which is about, you know, 12, 15 minutes from here to meet with the woman who was Oprah's chief of staff for 11 years. So I look down, I'm sitting, you know, working at home half the time. I'm, th- th- I was dressed up for working at home this day, dressed up, meaning my jeans didn't have too many holes in them. And I had a sweatshirt on and I had sneakers on. And I look down and I'm thinking like, where are my pants? Like, where are my real pants? Like, what can I throw on to get out of here? But I look at the clock and now I have like 18 minutes to get there. And I'm like thinking, I've got to, I have no makeup on. I'm like, I'm just not ready to go anywhere. But I'm like, I got to get there because I can't, I, mean, I can't be a no show. So I'm like, I'm just gonna have to go as is. And on the way down, I'm running because I can't get a cab because the traffic's so bad. And so like, I'm doing that jog run that we do in New York, right? Run a little, skip a little, jog a little, like don't try to get overheated, do the whole thing, I got it, right? So I get there like two minutes before and while I'm doing my little jog run, all I keep doing is beating myself up, thinking, oh my God, you know, how do I look this way? But more importantly, I didn't even, I never Googled this woman. I know absolutely nothing about her except for she was Oprah's chief of staff and she did something called the Libby Moore Gypsy Door. So I'm, I'm really beating myself up the whole way down thinking you can't do this again. You, you know, you have to be more prepared in life and how, you know, why did you let this happen? And I get there two minutes early and they take me to the table and I'm sitting there taking that deep breath and a woman walks over and says to me, hi, I'm Livy Moore. And I look up and she's in a pair of jeans, a great shirt, but you know, nothing dressy and no makeup and a pair of flats. And she sits down and says, you know what? I want to hear all about you because I haven't Googled you. I Googled, I spent my life Googling people when I worked for Oprah. And for the past five years, I really haven't Googled anyone before I meet them because I want that heart to heart, human to human, that without a transaction in mind conversation to see where it takes us versus entering this conversation with, I want to leave with, this and this and this and this. And that was that moment for me, one of those moments of saying, I think as women, we over-research and we overdo a lot of things in life. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I was in sales for a long time and you want to go in prepared. I'm not suggesting that we show up as idiots um, or any, whether women or men, none of us should show up. But there is something about that combination Mm -hmm. of taking that, that human to human conversation and not always being so tactic oriented. And so that's what I want to talk with you about, because are you that fly by the seat of your pants kind of girl, or are you the research girl? Yeah. Or somewhere in between. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a great way to start off this podcast. (laughs) That really is because I had this whole, um, thing prepared that I was going to talk about. No, but it does really tie into what I wanted to talk about because, um, I was that girl. I mean, I am that girl. And, you know, I think running a business and I've been doing this for, I've been doing mink and then now mink make make a packer by mink for like three years now. So, um, you know, I started off, you know, with a very, very strong voice and a very opinionated stand on, um, on what I was doing. But in terms of um, balancing the day to day as well as different points of view and not wanting to step on anybody's toes, you do kind of 
unexpectedly lose your kind of, you know, fly by the kind of, you know, win kind of attitude and you do kind of lose the essence of yourself, you know, and um, you end up being too tactful, I think, because I think, you know, in general, I don't know if it's a woman thing or a uh, running a business thing, but you try to please everybody, right? And so are you a pleaser? I am not any, no, I'm not. And I definitely am not. And, but there was definitely at points while I was running my business, the reality is you do have to work with people and you are in a community that's an industry. And so, you, you know, you do have to soften. I did have to make certain, you know, compromises in terms of being so outspoken and so, um, so loud, but I think especially with what happened with the election, that was really a big wake up call for me to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore because we have a problem and I'm only adding to that problem by being soft and by saying nothing about it. And I think, you know, I thought about it and I thought, I think running a business is two things, you know, it's, Yes, you do have to create value in terms of monetary value and money. And you are driving a mission, you know, ideally a mission, and you have to balance those two things. But for me, uh, when I reflect on it, I feel like if you're only selling a product um, and there's no mission behind it and you're just trying to make a buck, it's very, really empty. You know, you're really not really doing anything. Um, and you really do have to make a choice. You know, it's a choice onto what kind of not only entrepreneur you want to be and not what kind of business person you want to be, but what kind of person you want to be and what kind of change you want to make on this world. And if that matters to you. And so I think for what I am passionate about, it's very important to be the, you know, very loud, outspoken, you know, fly by the kind of, um, I don't know what the term you use. By the seat of your pants? Yeah, fly by the seat of my pants person. And it will not rub a lot of people the right way because I am doing something that is very um, different and disruptive in my industry. Um, And I think me having being soft on certain things because I was afraid of stepping on some toes um, or offending people, um, that really doesn't help the cause that I'm trying to champion. Um, And so I think think for a lot of Americans and a lot of women, um, this election has kind of, you know, reinvigorated their kind of, you know, passion and their kind of mission to be present and be even more steadfast in their beliefs and, and speak out about, you know, what they're trying to do and why they're doing it. I agree with that. I think that's one of the, one of the good things that is happening is realizing that we have lived in a bubble in many ways, right? And thinking that, our voice is important. Some people think their voice doesn't matter. But even mm-hmm. if you think your voice is important, mm-hmm. a lot of times we're not using it yeah. as much as we can mm-hmm. to be able to do whatever it is we want to do in life. Mm-hmm. So I want to go through being the entrepreneur, So mm-hmm. because this plays into what we're talking um, about, and that 
being prepared and mm-hmm. the unexpected happening. And like when I met Libby, one of the great unexpected things that happened because neither one of us had an agenda yeah. going in, we developed this really great friendship. And then that friendship has led to things like she's been on the podcast, yeah. we're doing some speaking together. But more importantly, I just love being with her. It, it, it took us to a different level. Mm-hmm. So on the business side, we got some business stuff going on. Yeah. But that whole, it's really human to human and heart to heart. That mm-hmm. is so important because that's where the great things will come out of it. Yeah. So, but I want to look at, because being an inventor yeah. and an entrepreneur yeah. and that your road has not been straight or narrow or easy or without failure. Right? Yeah. When we were talking and uh, when we were talking, I had said to you, I don't want to know much about what you're doing because I want the conversation to yeah. be fresh that we have on, on the podcast. So, but I do know that you started out. So let's start, let's, I want listeners to know where you started out with Mink and what Mink was and how you got to where you're at now. Yeah. So, you know, Mink started out as a 3D printer that printed makeup. And it, you know, the core of the product was that um, it enabled anybody to take an image and transform that image into a cosmetic, a physical product. And that is and always has been at the core of anything I've ever produced under the the flag name Mink, right? So even make a packer by Mink, you know, that is always at the core of what we do that you can create a cosmetic from an image that you see, whether you see it on Pinterest or, you know, whether you see it on YouTube. And I think being able to identify that and being able to see that that's what really excited people really helped us kind of product develop our way into what we have today. Um, What it kind of turned into in terms of its form was it went from something that was a printer into a pen and then into this thing that we call now the makeup packer, which is essentially a kit of four cartridges um, that people kind of could dial numbers into in order to create um, a cosmetic product um, that they could either again, do the same thing with a dropper, pick the color from an image and create a cosmetic out of it, or change the color of an existing cosmetic into whatever color they want. Um, so can you tell me like how that works? So I have a lipstick, yeah. I have a pink, li- yeah. like a pink lipstick. Uh-huh. Then what happens? Okay. So you have a pink lipstick and say you wanted to change that color of that pink lipstick into say something else, uh, say a blue lipstick, right? Um, what you would do, you would take a picture with the app, you would take a picture of that pink lipstick and then the app would pop up a sort of a a graph of, you know, a spectrum of color and you would choose the color you'd like to change it into. And that would give you the color difference that you would need to add, the pigment you would need to add to that lipstick in order to change it to the exact color you would want. And so you're making that color difference. And so you would add that pigment to that lipstick in order to create that color. And where do I put, where do I get the pigment where do i get it from so the pigment so i'm not using my app how do i where's the physical product oh the, the physical product is actually in the cartridges so in that kit so, so basically I, so i buy the cartridge kit yeah yeah so you buy the cartridge kit and it just basically it's very simple you just 
plop it into the dial and you turn it to the numbers that the app tells you. Um, you know, we also have a dropper that's just literally on a website. So it's like super easy. You don't even need to download an app. Um, a lot of it has, you know, a lot of development has been to make it very, very simple and very accessible um, so that you don't even really need an app. You can even just have a dropper and you can actually just create it from there. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of different ways that you could actually create that color that you wanted. You could, yes, you could, you know, mix it, mix the entire lipstick with the pigment to create that color. Or if you just want a little bit, bit of it, you could actually just swipe the lipstick on your lip um, and take up a, a little bit of the pigment on your finger and just kind of rub it into your lip and change the color that way for a single application. So, you know, there are a lot of different ways to kind of apply makeup now. There are a lot of hacks online as well. And so, you know, there's, the way that color cosmetics are going these days, um, it's not really about how, it's not really a top-down way of talking about makeup anymore. It's more of a, a community-based system now, especially with the internet and with YouTube and with blogs. You know, people find their own ways of kind of making it. And that's sort of the idea behind Mink. It's how how you choose to make it and how you choose to make it work for you. So when you first did the printer, mm-hmm. And you said, okay, this is a great idea and it won awards. And that's yeah. how we first met each other. Yeah. You were a tech crunch and everybody yeah. was raving about you and this great printer <laughs> and how, what a genius and how brilliant you are. Yeah. And so you, the whole world is talking, so to speak, the whole world, the tech world is talking yeah. about what a great idea this is. Yeah. Was it hard for you to say this is a great idea, but it's not the ultimate great idea. And I need to keep my head down and work on what is, what is that easier idea? Or did you kind of get, do you, how do you not get stuck in an idea? I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, yeah. it's easy to get stuck. It's like, this is my baby and I can't move on. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the thing. I think it comes back down to if you don't, if you're only there to, cause I I've had ideas that I've abandoned before, you know, I've made right. a lot of products before and it's very easy to kind of abandon ideas. I had this umbrella once and it was, it was a neat idea, but you know, it was a dry umbrella. So an umbrella that never gets wet so you can throw it in your bag and things won't get wet. So well, that's very cool. Right. It's cool. Right. It's neat. I made it, but <laughs> the thing is I'm not very passionate about umbrellas. Right. So, and bringing something to market is a lot more than just making something right. Making one product and it works. It's, it's, it's 99% perspiration. It's very true. And so again, it comes down to, how important a mission and how important that mission is to you, um, it's going to drive you through all the headaches and the disappointments and realization that you have to rethink this differently. Um, And so at that point, you know, also it helps to have been there before and have the maturity to understand that something buzzy is not necessarily practical and those two are different things and so you know it takes it takes a lot but if you really do I think the thing that really drives anybody not just in business but in politics or in life in general you know is the absolute love of what you're doing and your belief that what you're doing is going to be worth it at the end and so um you know the mission is of mink is that you know I mean I believe that, you know, this, the standard of beauty is not limited to one skin tone, one face shape, one hair type or one body type. And the beauty industry continues to perpetuate that image. They have not changed. They've made minute kind of improvements by, you know, making 
small little concessions and they have not done enough to change. And so, you know, I believe that, you know, this mission is very important to me. And so it's propelled me to make, to stick it in there and create something that, that will work. And where, what do you want to see happen to me in the, just the next year? We won't even look for maybe yeah. the next six months. How about the next six months? What do yeah. you want to see happen? I think, um, I think for the next six months, I mean, I'm going to go on a road show and like teach workshops and things. Um, I just want to see people join in on the community and start posting. I haven't um, publicly launched my uh, community site yet. I think when we first, we just started pre-orders. And I think when we first start shipping out, we're going to order the community site. So I think I will be very excited when people start posting things that they're making with Makeup Hacker. Um, And I will be very excited when people tell me, that they're making income by selling things that, that they made with Makeup Hacker because that's empowerment and that's going to show them they can support themselves by through entrepreneurship and and through, um, you know, doing something that they made and they created. And, you know, I think I think those things would be very um, exciting for me. And that's what I look forward to. And you, you grew up with a family of entrepreneurs, right? Oh, yeah. Your mom and dad. So <laughs> tell me about that. Yeah. So my dad, um, he, he has a fruit store. He still has a fruit store. Um, and so, <laughs> and where is that fruit store? It's in, it's in Greenpoint and in Brooklyn. Yeah. In Brooklyn. And so, um, I think I learned a lot from him and his fruit store. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, if his fruit store is very mission driven. I mean, it's, right. <laughs> it's, it's mission driven in the sense that, you know, he came, uh, you know, to this country with, you know, absolutely nothing, you know, maybe like I think it was like his story is like two spoons that he he stayed from like the airport that he came in. And then he worked at other fruit stores, you know, and to learn the trade of fruit storing. And then he, I like that fruit story. Yeah. yeah. And then he, he got his own fruit store. And from there, he like, you know, put us through college. And then, um, you know, even now, like, you know, now that he could retire and things, he he likes doing it. He likes working. And I think for a person, you know, I think work isn't just, you know, making money and, um, and that's it. I think for a lot of people making money and, you know, having something to do is a sense of pride. And so he just continues. He's, he's like 65 now. And so he's like, I'm going to do this until I can't do it anymore. And it's, you know, it's, it's the same thing he does every day and he's still doing it. As someone who I'm 62. Mm -hmm. So the fact that your dad's saying he's going to get we shouldn't retire when we're 65 gives me encouragement. Yeah, like, yeah. I keep looking at life saying, I'm going to be doing this till I'm a hundred. Yeah, you should. I, I, mean, am, I, I yeah, am. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So I want to do, so I can't wait to hear what you have for I'm done with that. Yeah. Okay. okay so this was, this one's an easy one for me because this morning this happened and I was like, okay, I am so done with this. Okay. So a friend in quotes emails me with somebody else on the email that I don't know. So let's just say her name is Sue. So my friend, let's say her name's Jody and the woman is Sue. Yeah. So Jody emails and says, Denise meets Sue. Sue is a rock star. She's an entrepreneur and she needs media coverage. So I thought you are the best person for her. So meet Sue. Sue, Denise will help you with your media. Oh. And I'm like, I am so done <laughs> with people connecting me yeah. without asking me first. Because what they're saying to me is... I, and I get the bigger picture that they think you can help. I, you know, that's great that people think I can help them and I want to help people. So that's yeah, great. Yeah. But the bigger picture, the thing that is, she just said to someone, I don't know, I'm going to give you Denise's brain. I'm going to give you her time uh-huh. without even asking Denise if it's okay. Yeah. 
So everyone who's listening, if you email me, I'm happy to be connected to people. Yeah. But just do the courtesy of asking me first. Yeah. That, you know, I want to introduce you to this person. Is that okay? Yeah. So that's what I'm done with. I'm done with people introducing me to people. It is not so much introducing me to people without permission. I don't mean it that way, but wanting a favor without asking my yeah. permission first. Totally. Is it okay? Totally. I have a good question. <laughs> okay. So what are you done with? I am done with... Although it is, what's the word for it um, when you're um, flattered? Right. You're, yeah, yeah, I'm flattered. You right. know, it is flattering. However, I'm done with people asking me to be their technical co-founder. Because what you're actually saying is, you don't think what I'm doing is very serious. Right. So you should come <laughs> right, right. and join me in what I'm doing because it's more, it's, so much more bigger than what you're doing. You know, it's, I think they just, I, I give them the benefit of doubt that they don't realize what they're inadvertently saying about the seriousness of what I'm doing. Right. And you are serious. You're, you're a very serious entrepreneur. I mean, yes. I, I find it so bizarre right. that they would even like set up a meeting with me. And I literally go into these meetings thinking they're asking for a collaboration and said they're trying to recruit me for their company. And I'm like, do you not know I'm actually doing my own thing? Right. You know, so I find that very, very funny. And so I am so done with that. <laughs> That's interesting because it is flattering, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of times, okay, so here's something I used to do a lot with. So I'm done with this on my own and this is my own doing. Yeah. People will say to me the same thing, right? Yeah. You know, I have this idea and I want you to be involved in it. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to be like, oh, that's so great. They want yeah. me to be involved in it. And then after, yeah. but, and so I would look at it though and say, but I can't be involved in everything, right? Yeah. So the same thing you're saying, number one, I have my own business, yeah. but I never looked at it that way. Why it bothered me so much. It was like, why does it bother me? So I think you just gave me the reason why it bothers yeah, me. It's like saying it's what you're so doing isn't that important. Important. Yeah. So come work with me because what I'm doing is so much more important. Exactly. Right. And, and I wonder, I pr I'm sure they don't even mean it, right? So they I don't think don't. you will do it with intent. Yeah. It's just the, they want the talent. So they want you. So it's flattering. But, yeah. It's, it's right. very it's, kind of one of those things like, oh, it's flattering. And I'm sure they don't mean it. Right. But, but. <laughs> what they're saying is what you're doing yeah, is not as great. Exactly. So I have one thing that I want to bring up in the interview that we did for the post, and that yeah. was back in like 2012 yeah. or 14 or uh -huh. whatever. You said, I'm pretty much unemployable. Yeah. I love this. You're like, yeah, yeah, I really am. <laughs> and you said it's because you'd be the worst employee in the world mm -hmm. because for you, employment is enslavement. Yeah. And so talk about that, because I think there are a lot of women who want to be entrepreneurs. Right. And they feel that. They feel that working is kind of being a slave, is right. enslavement. So talk, talk to you yeah, about Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, for me, especially with my personality in terms of, A, you know, I... I'm very creative. I think this is also a problem. I'm very creative. I remember I was working at an unnamed company, right? But in um, quotes, in air quotes, yeah, unnamed air, company. Air quotes. Oh my god, it was so horrible. And I think this is my inner very creative person. But I, and so I mean, I was working in the innovation group, of course, right? But I had this, I had this idea, right? And it was, I, it was a great idea. Um, and then. All my team members and my boss was like, that's an awful idea. All right. <laughs> it was blatantly such an awful idea. Da, da, da. I was like, well, you know, okay, well, I tried, right? The next day, 
my superior tells it to the like the head of marketing and he was like and the head of marketing is like that's a great idea and he took credit for the idea and so it's like i think as okay a, we're done with that yeah we're done with that i think as a creative person like your ideas are your children yeah so it's like you it was like so unsatisfying, you know, and I think as as a creative in a workplace, like it's very hard to function like that. Um, and I think that's why you see a lot of creatives being freelancers, um, you know, just because it is there's not very many uh, corporations or uh, workplaces that do kind of feed the needs of people who have those kinds of inner validation, creativity validation needs. Um I think also, you know, for women in general, it's not very flexible, you know, and it is a very um, male dominated kind of system. And, you know, I've also been in situations, many situations, actually, all the times that I have been working in a corporate work environment, it's been very, um, very, very stereotypically, you know, male, you know, and, and so, trying to force yourself in a, in a, in a workplace that doesn't, is very hostile towards women. I think that's why a lot of women kind of tend to uh, want to become entrepreneurs and create a world for them that works. And entrepreneurship is one of those options for them. Um, and I think for me, um, it's worked for me. And um, I think it could work for a lot of women as well. And do you have some tips for women going from the corporate world that just tips to like get you motivated, whatever tips you might have that you want to share if you were, as you are talking to a lot of young women? Yeah. What what do you want to tell them? I want to tell them that the world, oh yes, I do. I'm so, I think like- (laughs) She has her hands in a fist right now. Yeah, I do, yeah. Because the world has changed. This is the good news. Like the world has changed. Like entrepreneurship is not like because before I remember before when I was graduating college entrepreneurship was like not cool but now it's like it's not entrepreneurship it's like startup you know it's like cool it's in vogue and not only that like the world has changed significantly advertising has changed what's called um, publishing has changed um and what I mean by that is that now um the people that have the power are the people who have the reach in terms of audience, your social media feeds, your um, your your blogs, things like that, versus the only way traditionally to get your products sold or any services sold was, oh, you have to have this big of a budget in order to create advertisements to get into Cosmopolitan or Vogue or things like that. Now that's not the case because all those kind of systems are disrupted, right? So now everyone's clamoring to bloggers and um, YouTubers who are making real money. They're making millions and millions of dollars. It's insane. Yes, they are. I know. And so it's like, I'm just saying it's something to look at. (laughs) It's really something to look at. The economics of of entrepreneurship today, it's not your mom and pop's entrepreneurship. It is really the digital new world of entrepreneurship. And I think people who really figure it out and get on board really early are really going to be very successful and have that flexibility that they're looking for. I agree. The world has changed. Yeah. And there's so much more we're going to talk about. Yeah. But first, I want to bring in our takeaway guest, Aaron Zakis. Mm-hmm. So Aaron is the founder of Sundara, and it's a nonprofit that recycles soap with the goal of saving lives. 
So pretty cool also, right? Yeah. And although I think that sounds so far away from what you do as in, th- in 3D printing and tech, what I think is such at the heart of both of you is innovation, disruption, and taking something, seeing a need and really feeling it and really empowering women mm-hmm. because both of you are empowering women. So Erin gets soap that hotels are throwing away, and she hires women in um, India, Uganda, and Myanmar, and they employ them at fair wages and trains them, and they become hygiene ambassadors in making this soap. And the reason why it's so important, over 2 million people die of preventable hygiene disease, and many of these people are children. And what Aaron's doing is changing that by the thousands and thousands of helping people stay alive. So we're going to talk to Aaron. And first, I want to thank TrueCar for supporting Mentoring Moments. Whether you are a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of person or someone who Googles everything, there's one thing for sure, especially when you're buying a car. You want to feel comfortable that you're getting a fair price. And what better way to do that than to see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want. This information really empowers you. It makes you feel confident that you're getting a fair price. And that's one of my favorite things about TrueCar. And the other things that I love about TrueCar, I'll give you a top five list because I love doing headlines that are the five things I love. So here are the five things that I think are just great about TrueCar. First, it's easy to find the car you want. Then for pricing, once you register, you'll see real pricing on actual inventory. So this is competitive pricing offered to you only by a TrueCar certified dealer for an actual vehicle that is on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to the dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. It's all about power and confidence. And with over 13,000 TrueCar certified dealers nationwide, it's easy to find your local certified dealer of your choosing. That's important, of your choosing, so you can enjoy a quick and easy buying experience. And TrueCar users save an average of over $3,000 off of MSRP. And I'm not alone in the things that I like about TrueCar, because over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar certified dealer network. So when you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. What would happen if a well-known Chicago news anchor quit his job to drive a car for Lyft? What if he captured the real stories of the real passengers who ended up in the back seat? And what would happen if he aired those stories in a weekly podcast? I'm Anthony Ponce, and I did that. So download Backseat Rider at PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe at iTunes. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. You're listening to Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari. Erin, I'm very happy to be sitting right next to you. Like we are literally right next to each other in this 
we can touch each other. We mm-hmm. are touching each other. <laughs> so, Erin, I'm so excited you're here. You've been listening to Grace and I, and I can't wait to hear your takeaways and the questions or thoughts you might have for both of us. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, first of all, thank you for having me back, Denise. And Grace, just hearing about your work and your story is such an inspiration. I don't get to talk to many people like you on a daily basis, so just hearing your story is incredible. Um, one of the first things I wanted to talk about was what really excited me um, is that you said that you see yourself building a product that women can sell to their friends, to their network, and they can earn income. And you said that in and of itself is empowerment. Um, that's something that resonates with me as well. I originally started my organization because I was meeting all these children who didn't know what soap was, who would try and eat a bar of soap when you give it to them. Um, So that was the impetus for starting this organization. But now I found out that what keeps me going is actually the mothers and the women that we employ because female empowerment is so important to me. So I guess I wanted to have um, both of you talk about why you feel that female empowerment through employment um, and income generating opportunities is so important. Is there something that resonates with you through your childhood or, or a certain story that is what pushes you forward? Yes, okay. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I think it was the first time I sold something on eBay. It sounds so simple, but I think, um, you know, I, I needed money actually for, to buy supplies for various, like my first business. And it was a very simple business. It was, a, I think it was like a, a cream that was, that I was selling, but I needed some supplies and I didn't want to ask my parents for it. Um, cause I was a woman. <laughs> I was like, and I said, no, I'm not going to ask my parents and I need money. So how am I going to get it? And so I said, I have to make it somehow. And so um, I looked at everything that I had in my, my, my dorm room at that time. And I said, I can sell my jewelry. <laughs> so I found my old jewelry that I didn't have, um, that I never wore to be honest. And I posted it on eBay and I really didn't think it would sell. I totally didn't think it would sell at all, but it sold. It was amazing. And I still think today it is the most amazing thing ever. And I made money on it. And I, I was on a roll. I started selling like everything. I started selling my clothes that I didn't wear. I started like, I still get hot just like thinking about it. Like I, I started selling, like I had like a old stethoscope that my mom gave me when I, she thought I was going to med school. And I was like, yes, I can sell this. And so. <laughs> well, your mother thought you were going to med school. So she bought you a stethoscope. There's yeah. another story there. Yeah. <laughs> so she, she bought me a stethoscope. And so I was like, I could sell this too. Cause I, I would never use it. And so. So, um, and through that, I learned how to sell things online. I was like, oh, when something wasn't selling, I was like, how do I repost this? So someone's going to buy it. I was like, I learned how to discount things. And I found out like I started getting really confident in myself. And I think, you know, I think entrepreneurship is just very empowering because when you build that kind of confidence, you also get confidence in yourself as a person and as a woman. Um, and you don't settle for, um, someone mistreating you. Um, and I think a lot of women are in very bad situations because a, you know, a lot of women in abusive situations can't get out of their situations because, because of income situations and B, a lot of 
women are mistreated because of this confidence issue as well. And so for me, um, I think through that experience, I realized you can really improve a woman's confidence through just showing her what she can do and, you know, teaching her that, you know, she can really make good stuff happen for herself, you know, just by herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you both have confidence? I would say, I mean, I, of course, I think, you know, growing up, you know, you're exposed to a lot of societal pressures, right? Um, but and do you I, think more so because of your, your first generation? The, uh, yeah, I'm first generation. So, yeah, I think um, especially, I mean, I think especially my industry that I'm in, the beauty industry, um, sure, you know, there is systemic social and gender oppression, uh, oppression in that that is generated from the cosmetic industry. And so, and does going to Harvard help and um, Cornell? Does that, does that help? I think going, I, you see, I didn't really notice it that much until Harvard. And, um, you really start noticing it then. Um, I don't quite, I can't really put my finger on it right at this moment. I'm sure I will want to reflect back on it. Maybe I was a little more insulated in Cornell because maybe I was more surrounded by people like me who were first generation um, immigrants at Cornell. And it's such a large school, right? Whereas in, you know, in business school, there's only a thousand of us, right? And um, what was very striking in that situation was um, it wasn't that um, we weren't separated by really racial lines. Uh, we were, but <laughs> the biggest striking thing was I've never been surrounded by so many people from wealthy backgrounds before. And how different we were was very striking. So the whole socioeconomic difference really did shock me. And Aaron, do you have confidence? Uh, it depends on the day. <laughs> I have good days and bad days, like most women, I think. Right. Yeah. So, um, what are the days that give you when you feel the most? I'm, I'm switching the tables here and yeah. asking you a question, but, <laughs> yeah. I, but I want to know this. What is it that makes you feel confident? On what are those days, or what happens on those days? Yeah, the days when I feel confident are days when I practice gratitude. Um, I have this ritual. Sometimes I know you've talked about morning rituals or everyday rituals, and I think. Um, it begins with a few minutes of meditation and saying three things that I'm grateful for every day. And that puts me in the mindset of appreciation rather than focusing on the thing that I'm lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really a mindset for me. And it's also, I think, something that we're talking about the beauty industry here. Um, I think beauty is also a mindset. Mm-hmm. Sundara, which is the name of my nonprofit, it actually means beautiful in mm-hmm. Sanskrit. And I started it to reflect the times when I feel the most beautiful, which is when I'm doing things to help other people. Mm-hmm. So I guess I want to open it up to both of you and ask you, what are the times when you feel most beautiful mm-hmm. um, on the inside? Mm-hmm. Not talking about it on the <laughs> when it's not raining. Yeah, yeah. I, know. I feel the most beautiful when I'm when I'm surrounded with people when we're do when we're taking action, and I and I really mean that. I know we're in a time of the world right now where that's really important. But I think that's when I feel the most beautiful because I'm smiling the most. And I think when you smile, when you're smiling, that's, that comes from inside that comes from your heart, right? It's not just, and I'm not talking about the fake smile, but the authentic smiles, when you kind of feel it in your heart that bubbles up 
and comes and shows on your face. And that happens when I'm with women who are like-minded and, and men as well, not just women, that we're we're making change, that something great is happening. And that change could be something really small. And so I think those are the times. And then when I'm with my daughter, that's, oh. that, that's, those are the times that I just feel, I, I just feel so fortunate that my daughter is my daughter and I'll get teary eyed because I, oh, my, you know, my daughter's yeah. adopted and I went through seven years of infertility treatment and there was a lot um, that, so those are my two, those are my two basic times yeah. when I feel the most beautiful. And well, I'm gonna add a third one to that because I think this is important for young women. I have a husband who tells me all the time how beautiful I am. And I think he means that inside and out. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you're with people who tell you that, it's hard for you not to believe it sometimes. That makes sense. Not that you need someone to tell you because you need to believe it yourself. But when your partner is constantly telling you how wonderful you are, how beautiful you are, it's really a great thing that that brings out that beauty in you. Yeah, totally. I think um, similarly, I think... You know, I, I don't have, you know, children right now, but I have a puppy. <laughs> I do. No, but it's true. No, it's I think, great. I'm just yeah. loving it you love your puppy. Yeah, I love my puppy. And um, his name's Bobby. His full name is Bobby Richard. But his name's Bobby. And um, I feel the most beautiful when when he's smiling and I made him smile, you know? And so, you know, that when I'm with him and I, you know, I'm his number one caretaker. And so when I, when he's happy and I made him happy, that makes me feel beautiful. Um, I also feel very beautiful when I'm around my parents and especially my mother, because A, she's like the happiest person ever. And B, she really, truly believes I'm the most beautiful person in the world, you know? And, you know, at first it's like, oh, you're just my mom, you know? But I think when someone's so supportive of you in that way, and you know that someone has your back in that way, um, you do feel that kind of love. And I think being that love, you feel beautiful as well. And I think that's really important to have a good support system and a good network. Definitely. Uh, I have another thing that I wanted to add, which is that I know we spoke a lot about disruptive industries, Mm -hmm. and I think it's an exciting time to be working at a startup with all this disruption in the media, in the beauty industry. I even see it myself in the nonprofit industry Mm -hmm. where before you had to go to big established foundations for funding, and now there are things like crowdfunding that allows anyone with a good idea to raise funds from their network. So. On one hand, that's really exciting, um, and it's going on now. But, And I remember reading an article about you mm-hmm. before this that said that there was a really interesting quote that you said about how you wanted to do this because there's no um, colors from the Internet are free. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I wanted to balance that against um, your Korean. Mm-hmm. I work um, in India. There's a lot about um, having white skin or lighter skin color um, that still exist. Mm -hmm. So how do you fight that? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you fight all these industries and mm, this history that tells women that you're not beautiful as is, whether it's with your eyes or your skin color or your jawline? I just wanted to hear about, like, I think that you're out there fighting the good fight, but there's billions of dollars being poured into the bad fight, yeah. which plays on people's insecurities. Yeah, it is 
crazy, this machine. Um, it is it is literally a multi-billion dollar industry geared at, you know, pushing a single beauty ideal. So 80% of the beauty industry is controlled by four companies. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Four companies that are all European or um, one, one U.S. company, I believe, and the rest are European. Um, and they all push the same Eurocentric beauty ideal. And that's where it all comes from. Um, and for me, and my theory is, um, and when I look at the system, all of this comes from, and all of it is incentivized by the mass manufacturing system. This is where all of it comes from, because having one standard really decreases the cost of how it's all set up, right? So if you promote multiple standards, the whole mass manufacturing system kind of breaks down. It doesn't really work for them. For instance, not to get too nitty gritty into like the financials or anything, um, if they had to say, for instance, cater to every single skin tone, um, they would have to create these large jars or kettles of foundations every single time. The setup cost for that. It's not really the, the, the materials that are expensive. It's actually the setup costs. So they want to reduce the number of setup costs. And in order to reduce the number of setup costs, it's better to have one standard of beauty. And that's how things are driven. That's how manufacturing and mass manufacturing to be exact is kind of maximized. The cost is maximized. So I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's yeah. how it all comes from. Uh -huh. And so my theory was, okay, let's change that. Let's, let's fix this mass, the incentive, right? Because people are driven by incentives. I mean, KPIs in business, right? Um, it's driven by profit. And if that's how you're profiting, right? This will never change. They will always promote one standard because this is how a corporation makes money. Yeah. So I thought, all right, what if we change that so that the, the cost of changing this isn't going to hurt anybody? And so thinking about the technologies that, that developed over the couple of years, um, I thought about what about printing, right? Printing is one of those systems where it lets people create products that are mass custom, right? So you could print your own kind of, you know, pages if you like, print your own designs when you like. Um, that in and of itself has its own problems, but you know, the the solution to all of this, I think for me, is create a system where it eliminates the incentive to create one single standard of beauty, create a, a, a system where it allows you to uh, mass custom manufacture things at a low price. Um, and that's how you change the system. That's really fascinating, yeah. Grace, because I think that what you're doing mm -hmm. is a real passion of yours mm -hmm. to be able to empower women, mm -hmm. but it's also a good business. It's, it's good business, right? And I think that's the connect for a lot of us is mm -hmm. how do we bring those two together? How do you bring your passion mm -hmm. together with something that is really impacting business? Because mm -hmm. that's when we're successful. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to end the podcast in a moment or two, but Aaron, I want to ask you if there's anything else, just a quickie that you want to ask or Grace, is there anything we haven't covered that you're, Want to tell? 
I think I just want to tell like a super quick yes. story. Yes. yes. Really quick. Yeah. But um, my favorite place in the world is Myanmar or uh-huh. known to some people as Burma. And one of the reasons why I love it is every day my face feels sore because I've been smiling at so many people because <laughs> everyone looks at you in the eye and smiles. And I've also noticed it's the one place in the world I've been where there's no makeup. Ah. People use this stuff called tanaka, which uh-huh. is bark paste, and they put it on their face. The reason why there's no makeup is because there's no advertising because the government yes. didn't allow advertising. Yes. yes. Now this is changing. So I go there every yeah. year and I see that now there's advertisements for tea mixes and oh. cement. Yeah. I've yet to see advertising for makeup, but it'll be interesting to watch this change. And so it makes me think about advertising connected mm-hmm. with beauty, connected with self-esteem and confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just food for thought, but it's also such a pleasure to talk to you and meet someone who's disrupting the beauty industry as it is. And I think we need more people like you and more people like you, Denise. Well, I think we need more people like you, Erin. And yeah. I want to make a suggestion here. Okay, so Grace, I think you should go with Erin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. see what you got, what you both can discover. So yeah. you go to Myanmar I'm together. I'm going next week if you want really? to come. Okay. Yeah. okay, let's see how much you fly by the seat of the pants. Yeah. Yeah. You really are. Yeah. Are you going to hop on that plane with Aaron next week? Yeah. To be continued. To right. be continued. So I want to end with this thought because it's, okay, as is, I think a lot of what we're saying is we as women need to accept ourselves as is in quotes. And Alicia Reiner, we did a podcast. Alicia Reiner is an actress. Some of you may know her from Orange is the New Black. She plays Fig. Um, and she plays a lot of she has a lot of other roles in life, but that's one that everyone seems to like know her from. But Alicia in the podcast said that if she got a tattoo, it would say as is because she wants to accept herself as is. And this story has a really great follow up here. So last week, a woman wrote to me who I don't know, you can get you can email me through Forbes, you can um, have my email there. She emailed me and she said, I really needed this podcast that you did. And with Alicia, I realized that I have to be as is. So I went and I got a tattoo that is said as is. And she sent me a picture of it and it's beautiful. I will post this on Twitter. It's beautiful. I'll have to ask her for permission, but it's beautiful. But the best part of it is last Saturday, Alicia got her tattoo that says as is. And the two tattoos couldn't be more different. The two tattoos are, let me make that a better sentence. The two tattoos are very different in the way they look. And yet they're both each person they are as is. So I think we want to accept ourselves as is, mm-hmm. but we don't want to accept the status quo mm-hmm. in the world as is. And that's where we can take all of that innovation and disruption mm-hmm. that we have and really change the world. So Grace and Aaron, where can we find you? You can go to my website at www.sundara, S-U-N-D-A-R-A, fund, F-U-N-D.org, or you can always tweet me at Erin, E-R-I-N, Zaikis, Z-A-I-K-I-S. And Grace, where can we find you? Okay. You can visit my website at makeuphacker.com or you can find me on Instagram at Grace Minx, spelled G-R-A-C-E-M-I-N-K-S. So thank you both so much. And I can't wait to hear about your trip to Myanmar together. I can't wait to hear <laughs> Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 
wife always makes me think differently, and I hope she did the same for you. You know, she's smart. She's really smart, but it's more than brains. She's fearless. So every time I'm with Grace, I leave with that extra kick in my step of thinking, I can do that. So thanks for joining us today. And to make sure you're getting mentoring moments the moment it's live, which is every Wednesday, please subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review. And check out my show notes on Forbes.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Are you someone who researches things to death or are you a fly by the seat of your pants kind of person? You know, I've never had an interest in getting a tattoo. Okay, well, maybe a little one, but don't tell my daughter. And I have to say, though, if I got one, it would say as is to remind me to accept myself as is. That doesn't mean that I don't want to improve, that I don't want to do things better, but it means that I don't want to seek something that's not real, like perfection. So what about you? Are you an as-is or are you a perfectionist? And here's a good one. How employable are you? Are you ready for corporate America? Are you ready for the rules and regulations? Or are you the kind of person who needs your own thing, like Grace? Please let me know your answers. You can find me at Twitter at Denise Rastari. And until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. You teared up because the barista screwed up your order. You finished a pint of fudge ripple ice cream in front of the freezer. You yelled at your desk neighbor, Leslie, for breathing too loud. Ah! This time, don't go and buy another box of tampons. Question what you thought you knew about periods. Question what you buy, what you use, what the usual way, right way is to deal with it. Revolutionize. Switch it up. Try the Diva Cup and see how it can make dealing with your period a whole lot better. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following following the rule of law is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.